the NIV version. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And this is the word of the Lord. Stand with me, please. Take 37 seconds, turn to the people beside you, shake their hands, say thank you for standing beside me today. And you can be seated. Thank you. We have our carols tonight starting at, well, we have the fair at five. We have the carols starting at seven. And I've been told that it's not going to rain, even though the clouds are coming in. I've also been told that the clouds are going to actually keep some of the warmth in so it won't be too cold tonight. So that's good. Don't pray for the clouds to go away. Pray for the rain not to come. So I think we ought to do that. Uh, and this morning we are continuing our theme in Who is the Lord Jesus? Uh, and particularly we're going to look at the question of why he came. A servant king. So we're going to focus on that, hence our reading this morning that revealed the person of the Lord Jesus in some of his glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be together again. We thank you for our kids' church Kindy Kids Church and the service this morning and the way these young lives performed, honouring you and displaying knowledge about you. We pray, Lord, for our young children that they might grow up in your ways, come to know you personally and serve you faithfully. We pray the same for ourselves right now. We place ourselves under the authority of your word and ask that you might speak to us, teach us and that you might challenge us to emulate the Lord Jesus as a servant and to submit to him as our king. Speak to us, Lord, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And as Jesus is king, we ask in his name that he might keep the reins away, that tonight might be um, not necessarily clear, but that it might be a great time outside and that many people might come, might enjoy the carols, but most of all might respond to the truth 
that you are the God who came pursuing to seek and to save those who are lost. We ask, Lord, that you would save many people this night. We pray again in Jesus' name. And everybody said, he is the servant king. And as I already indicated, who he is is revealed in why he came. Jesus took on numerous occasions, people would come to him, and he says it dozens of times in the Gospels, statements about why he came. Here is a very quick sampling of them, either in the negative or the positive. Matthew 9 verse 13 says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I did come to call sinners to repentance. That's why he came. Matthew 10, don't suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring a sword to divide fathers from sons, mothers from daughters and children from parents. And of course, what he means by that is he's talking about allegiance to him, <coughs> taking a higher priority than our allegiance to any other. Matthew 1.38 says, uh, let's go into another village and preach, for that is why I have come, I've come to preach God's truth. Uh, John 5.43, I have come in my Father's name. Um, uh, John 8.42, I have come here from God. Um, John 10.10, 10, famously, I have come that they may have life and life in all its fullness. But significantly, John 6.38, the Lord Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven, King, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, Servant. He is the combination of a servant, King. The Lord Jesus, as we have said on numerous occasions over the last few weeks, he is the most significant person in human history. He, in fact, divides human history and the calendar. It all revolves around his coming. Christmas, this time of the year, is heading towards the biggest holiday in the world. Many, many nations will stop. Bart Simpson, that very insightful theologian, even makes the comment, all people of all religions stop at Christmas time to worship Jesus. It's not quite true but it's an exaggeration of almost the truth. Jesus is the reason for the season. So if we ask the question, well, why did he come? What do we learn about him for the reasons for which he came? There are several responses. This is significant. And this morning we're going to focus upon three. In Matthew chapter 5, when the Lord Jesus is talking specifically to his disciples, but the crowds are around him and listening in. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. He's basically, he goes on then to say that not a small jote or, or strike of the pen, you know, not a dot or a crossing of a T are going to disappear from the law until it's all accomplished. And really, the Old Testament is all pointing towards him. He's saying, I am here, I am the embodiment of all the teaching of the Old Testament, and that will explain to us some of who he is. Theologians over the centuries have tried to summarise the teaching of the Old Testament. Probably the most helpful way in doing that is to use the threefold titles. He came as a prophet, he came as a priest, and he came as a king. And he's not one of those, he's all three of those together. And as we'll talk about this morning... Uh, when we overemphasize or where we underestimate, underemphasize any one of those aspects, we end up with a skewed belief system. We end up with a form of Christianity which is not full and complete. So that's where we're going to go this morning. We understand who he is because of the reasons that he came. And he is the embodiment of the Old Testament. He is prophet. 
He is the fulfillment of the priesthood and he is the king, the promised Messiah, the one who was to come. So firstly, prophet. And we'll work our way through these three. Prophet in the Old Testament was a person who spoke God's word, who would confront sin, who would call the people to repentance. Jesus certainly did that. And just like in the Old Testament, so too today, people hear God's word and sometimes hearts are broken and sometimes hearts are hardened. The same sun melts the wax, hardens the clay. And that's how God works his purposes out in this world. His word is taught, his word is preached, his word is presented. God takes his word and uses his word and people responding to it. And through that response, God will be achieving his purposes. There is an amazing statement in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which I want to dwell upon just for a few minutes. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and following. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him, just like in the reading that Vanessa read to us. For this is what you have asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let's not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we'll die. And the Lord said, What they say is correct, good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, from among their brothers. I'll put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything that I command him. It's a prophecy fulfilled, obviously, pointing to the Lord Jesus, that he came as the prophet. He was the promised one, as Acts chapter 3 emphasises for us. In the Old Testament, the prophets would say, the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. And they do that, well, according to one commentator, 241 times. And of those 241 times the word of the Lord, 221 times of those it's a prophet who's speaking, not just an author writing. Jesus didn't say that. When Jesus came, he didn't say, thus says the Lord or the word of the Lord. He would say, I say unto you, truly I say to you, because he is God in the flesh. He's the king giving forth God's words. The written word of God now for us, the Bible, reveals to us that incarnate word, that enfleshed word, the Lord Jesus. He came to preach. And God achieves his purposes now through that. Tim LaHaye, in his book on Jesus, he notes many parallels between Moses and Jesus. I'll just give you those very quickly. Both of them, Moses and Jesus, were infants in Egypt. And both were sheltered from people who wanted to kill them in those infant years. Secondly, both grew up uh, to become tremendous leaders, teachers and prophets. Both Moses and Jesus fasted for 40 days. Both of them delivered law from a mountain. The Ten Commandments for Moses and the Sermon on the Mount for Jesus. Both of them performed remarkable miracles before eyewitnesses. Both of them had power over demonic forces, control over the water, the Red Sea and calming the storm. Both of their faces shone with glory from heaven. Moses, when he came down from the mountain, Jesus this morning at the Transfiguration. Moses lifted up the bronze serpents to heal believers who looked and believed. The Lord Jesus himself is fulfilment of that when he was lifted up on the cross. For all who believe, he will heal them from sin. Both died on a hill and neither of them, neither body, remained in a tomb. Moses hidden, but Jesus resurrected. So in John chapter 1, verse 21 and following, it's not surprising, you have the religious leaders coming to Jesus and saying to him, uh, sorry, saying to John the Baptist, 
Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet that Moses spoke about, the one we're waiting for? And he says, no, I'm not the prophet. Well, then who are you? He says, I'm simply the voice. I'm the voice of the one that Isaiah spoke about, preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. John chapter 6, verse 14. When the people had saw the miracle, they said, truly this man, Jesus, truly this man is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus was a prophet. He not only declared God's word, he made predictions. And what he predicted came to pass. And there are some predictions that he made which we are still waiting to come to pass and we fully expect will come to pass because he never sinned, he never uttered an untruth. All he says he will achieve. Well, what examples do we have of where Jesus predicted something would happen or said something would happen and it did come to pass? Well, numerous occasions, a quick sample. He said to the centurion soldier that his servant would be healed. So the very next day, the, the uh, centurion finds out that it was so. At exactly the time Jesus said the word. Jesus said that Lazarus would rise from the dead. He promised that several days later. Promised it to his sisters eventually. Jesus sent his disciples into a village ahead of him at one point and said, you're going to find a donkey and a colt and they're going to be tied up. And they go and they find it just as it was. He predicted that Jesus would betray him. He predicted the disciples would flee from him. He predicted that Peter would deny him three times. He predicted that he would be betrayed and crucified on a cross and he predicted that three days later he would rise from the dead. What he said came to pass. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus is the prophet. And he still is today. He is the one who declares God's words, which are now recorded for us in Scripture. Jesus also predicted the Holy Spirit would descend upon the disciples, and it happened at Pentecost. He said he would see his disciples in Galilee after he rose from the dead, and he did. He predicted that the temple would be destroyed, and it was 40 years later in AD 70. He predicted that he would return, and he predicted some signs before his return. And we still await the fulfilment of those, the recognition of them. He said there would be an antichrist who would appear in the temple. He said that um, he would set up thrones and his disciples, loyal followers, would rule over nations. And he predicted that when he returned, he would come in judgment and with his rewards with him. Those things are yet to be fulfilled. But Jesus, the prophets, God, the son, will do exactly as he has indicated. So Jesus is a prophet fulfilling all of the Old Testament imagery and symbolism and examples of Old Testament prophets. Jesus is the priest. He is the ultimate priest. He's the high priest. But he fulfills the whole Old Testament priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest stands between men and God. He is a mediator. He represents men to God and he also communicates God's truth to people. He prays for them. He steps in as an advocate and an intercessor. He hears confession. He offers sacrifices, demonstrating that the penalty of sin is death and that the offer of forgiveness also brings with it cleansing. And it was the priest who would stand with his hands raised and speak a blessing over God's people. All of these are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. He prays for us. He is the sacrifice that has been offered for us. He is the one who speaks God's blessing over us. The author of Hebrews certainly says to us that he is our high priest, giving us great encouragement to come to him. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5 that he is our mediator, the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He continues in heaven even now as he is on the throne praying, interceding for us. He is our advocate on high. And Hebrews 7.25 reminds us that he 
can save anybody. He ever saves to the uttermost those who come to God through him, for he ever leaves to intercede for them. He's praying for us. He knows us as our priest. He loves us, pays attention and cares for us. He's very tender towards us. He understands the hairs on our head are numbered, the days of our life. He understands how many. He knows how many. He knows the longings of our heart, the thoughts of our minds, the words of our lips. He knows everything about us as our priest. And he yearns for us to be close to him and to be reconciled to God. And we need to pray that tonight that, and even this morning's service. The people who have not yet accepted, have not yet responded, and haven't repented, haven't bowed the knee to him will do so. And to pray that that happens at tonight's carol service, that people will come to a saving relationship, life-changing intimacy with the living God. As a priest, the Lord Jesus serves us in a loving, compassionate, faithful way. The religions of the world, generally speaking, tend to have a harsh, demanding, um, strict ways that you can please God. Christianity is the only religious system in the world where God himself, Jesus himself, gets off the throne, comes into our world and humbles himself to serve us, to die for us, to grant us grace and mercy. He is our servant king. He is the kingly servant. He is the king in disguise. He is served. Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek, to search for, to pursue, to go looking for, and to save, to rescue, to deliver, to transform, to empower those who were lost. Those who have been separated from God, he wants reconciled. Those who are broken through life circumstances, sin and their own choices, he wants to heal. Those who are guilty because of the sins they have done, he wants to pardon and cleanse. It's beautifully illustrated in Matthew chapter 9, where Levi, Matthew, is a tax collector and he's a bit of a crook. I'm not given all the background detail, but at some point, somehow, the Lord Jesus, observing this guy, realises that he would make a really good follower of mine. And Jesus challenges him, leave your tax collecting table and come follow me. And Jesus self-invites himself to Matthew's place for a dinner. Matthew is so overwhelmed by that. It's not Jesus, the prophet, coming and condemning him and correcting him and rebuking him for his sin. It's Jesus, the mediator, the priest, reaching out his hand of friendship to him and saying, um, let's have dinner together. Come follow me. Matthew does. He's so overwhelmed by this gracious invitation that he invites his other friends. And that night there is a party. What sort of a party would a crooked tax collector have? Well, I would imagine it's going to have loud music, lots of bass stuff, flashing lights, girls there in high heels, camels with spinning wheels on it, card games going on in the corner, some bright lights flashing on and off. Do they have lights in those? From candles flashing on and off. It was a party. And Jesus went. And Matthew tells us, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, came. And they're far more of the prophetic mode to go, this is wrong. That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, to rebuke sin, to bring correction. But Jesus' response to that attitude of judgmentalism is one to say, I didn't come to heal the righteous or the, the well. It's the sick who need healing. 
And he said, that's why I am here at this loud, thumping music party to reach people into a saving relationship with Jesus. Jesus is a priest who is merciful. He says in Mark 10.45, the key verse in Mark, the central verse, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the servant king. He is the king. But he has shown us, he's modelled for us what we are to do as his followers. We are to serve. Pastors aren't kings. Pastors are servants. Senior pastors are kings. No, that's not. Senior pastors are chief servants. That's what we are. Pastors are servants. Elders are servants. They lead but they lead with servant hearts. They lead according to their sovereign king, under his instructions. And we're all called to be servants. John chapter 13, the Lord Jesus, it's the very last night he's going to be with the disciples and they're having communion, they're having the Passover, and he's going to transform the Passover into communion service. And when they arrive at the house, which Jesus again had predicted, he said, sent two of his disciples ahead, and he said, you're going to find a guy walking around with a jar on his head, follow him, and tell him that we're going to have the Passover at his house tonight. And he does, and that comes to pass. And when Jesus gets there and the disciples, they have to arrive by a certain time, I guess, and they all turn up. They've all been walking through the streets. They're dirty, they're dusty, got dirty feet. And for some reason, there's a faux pas. The servants of the house who should be there, whose job it was to have bowls of water and to wash the feet of the guests as they were coming in, weren't there. It was the lowest job of all was lowly. You had to undo their sandals and actually touch their smelly feet. And nobody wanted to do it. Disciples came in, took their assigned seats, sat near their name badges, which had all been prearranged. When Jesus comes in, he realises that this hasn't happened. So the Lord Jesus does this. He takes off his magnificent robe that he has, the one that was seamless and valuable, lays that aside clothes himself with a towel, a servant. He bends down and he takes that, the bowls of water, if he probably poured them himself, and he washed the disciples' feet. And there were some other things that happened, but at the end of it, he gets back, he puts his robe back on, he sits down and he says, if I, your Lord, have washed your feet, I have left you an example. Serve one another. He is a servant. And he calls us to have that attitude towards one another, servants. But even that, I like to reflect. Even what he did then is a powerful drama, a dramatic illustration of what the sovereign king had done. He took off the robes of his glory in heaven, took upon himself the flesh of humanity to be a servant, and served us and even died for us. He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he resumed the robes of his glory. He is the sovereign king who came to serve us and he calls us to follow him. And because he is our priest, we have this wonderful promise. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. He invites us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace where you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. They're priestly attributes. Mercy and grace. Patience, tolerance. 
to the throne of grace. I love the translation of Ephesians 3.12 in the New Living Translation, but it's got to be in the first edition. Second edition, they changed it. I don't like it as much. It's accurate. I just don't like it as much. In the first edition, Ephesians 3.12 in the New Living Translation says, I won't get it exactly right now, um, because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come boldly, fearlessly, boldly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. That's a beautiful statement. It's certainly theologically accurate, fully true, New Testament truth. Because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come into God's presence boldly, assured of his welcome, of his glad welcome. It's a great thing that he is our priest. So Jesus is our priest. He fulfills the Old Testament priests, uh, priests, and he serves us humbly as our priest. But he's also a prophet who speaks to us boldly and clearly God's truth. And thirdly, Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament monarchy. He is the king, not just a king, he is the king. He's the one who is to rule over us. As that brilliant gospel tract, I think it's brilliant, Two Ways to Live has, that God is the rightful owner and ruler of the world. He is the king. But we rebelled against him in sin and the penalty of that is death. But God sent Jesus into our world who lived under God's rulership as king. He died, but he rose again and he ascended into heaven where Jesus now reigns and rules with the Father from the throne on high. And that leaves us with a choice. There are two ways to live. We can live under God's rule or we can live under our own little kingdom. But the consequences will be separation and death. Jesus is the king who calls us to live our lives in submission to him. That's what the title Jesus is Lord is alluding to all the way through the New Testament. When we confess that he is Lord, we are saying he is Caesar. He is the supreme ruler of the empire, of the kingdom. He is Lord. Pilate asks him this question in John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37. Pilate says... Um, am I a Jew? Was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me? What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate says correctly, you are a king then. Yes, Jesus says, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. He's the prophet king, the prophet who speaks the truth, but he is the king. Abram Kuper, Kuiper, however you say his name, he makes the comment, there is not a square inch. For those of you who don't know what an inch is, it's 2.5 square centimetres. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Jesus who is sovereign over all, does not have the rights to proclaim, that's mine, that's mine, I own that. He is sovereign, supreme Lord. He owns it all. He rules over the visible, the physical, and the spiritual, the invisible. He rules over angels and demons. He rules over believers and unbelievers, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, the healthy and the sick, the simple and the wise, the living, and the dead. He's Lord of all, the King who came to serve. He rules over all nations and all individuals. 
And as a king, he deserves and demands obedience. He requires loyalty. As somebody has rightly said, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. That's a challenge for us in our rebellious, sinful ways when we disobey him. He became resident in us that he might be president of us. He's the king. So Jesus is all three of these. He is a prophet, he is a priest, and he is a king. As a prophet, he is the one who confronts us and calls us to repentance. As a priest, he is the one who comforts us and cares for us, came to save us. As a king, he's the one who commands us to yield. The one who wants to transform us, change us, to being the full potential of what he created us to be. As a prophet, Jesus still continues to point sin out in our life through the scriptures and by his Holy Spirit speaking into our conscience. As a king, he continues to challenge us and to reveal the implications of his rule over our life. He will challenge us about, do you own that or do I own that? Are you using it for me or for yourself? And as a priest, he is ever patient and kind, forgiving with us, but he is committed to changing us and to cleansing us. Again, through his word, and by his spirit. Now, what does all of this mean for us? Well, it seems to me that we can make a mistake, that you can emphasise, be comfortable with one of those, or even two of those, and in the process of that, you neglect the third, or you play it down. Now, this is the tricky bit. This is where you need to have all three in balance, all three together. And we need wisdom to be able to discern what's an appropriate response in our relationships with others. For instance... Let me very broadly, generally, divide Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus, into three camps. And there's not three, and it's oversimplistic, but anyway, this will do. There are those who are fundamentalists. There are those who are um, committed strongly to rules and regulations, legalism and moralism and... They tend to be judgmental. Everything is nearly black and white. This is right and that's wrong. They've got nearly everything figured out. Um, and generally speaking, those people also tend to lack patience or love or mercy towards others because they tend to be strict and they tend to be judgmental. Not all fundamentalists are like that. Like I said, there are. This is huge generalisations. But it illustrates for me they've got a strong view of Jesus as a prophet. They are truth-tellers. They rebuke sin. They see it clearly. And that's correct. And they've got a strong view of Jesus as king, that he is the sovereign Lord. He's the commander-in-chief. He is the ruler and he is the judge. But they have a, an under, underestimated playing down of or a lack of appreciation for the priesthood of the Lord Jesus, that he is the one who came to die to reconcile sinners. It's, these folk would have been with the Pharisees at the party that Jesus was at with Matthew and saying, how can you do that? Jesus' response, well, it's the sick who need this. I wonder if we can be like that. Jesus said to one occasion to these sorts of people, he says, go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. What do you think that means? Jesus challenged them to go away. I don't just want the outward performance of the rules and regulations, the commands that I've given in the Old Testament. I want heart with it. I want transformation of life. And so for these folk, where they play down the priesthood of the Lord Jesus, 
Um, they can have a view of God who is stern, who is strict, who is distant, who is unsympathetic towards them, that is a God whom we must appease, a God whom we must do well to please him. The tragedy with that is that when we do well, we then become proud. Uh, we're broken. And when we fail and we don't live up to the outward standards that we think God wants us to be having and doing, then when we fail, we can despair and even go into depression. So that's that group. Strong view of Jesus as prophet, truth teller. Strong view of Jesus as king, sovereign lord of all, but a very weak view. That is a compassionate and merciful high priest who is willing to extend forgiveness to those who come to him for it. I don't know what to call the middle group. Um, so I'm going to call them evangelicals. That's us. And then I want to soften a little bit by saying some evangelicals. But it's, they're like us. They have a general assent to the truth. They believe the Bible is the word of God. Um, they have... Uh, a strong view, therefore, of Jesus being priest. They've got a strong view of Jesus be, uh, being a prophet and a strong view of him being a priest. If we sin, we go to him and he will forgive us. The Bible is God's word. What he says is true and we need to obey it. But if we stumble and fall, we go to him for forgiveness and he will forgive us. They go together strongly in some evangelical minds. But what's missing, what's weak, is the kingship, the lordship of the Lord Jesus. This is the growing trend in the 21st, the late 20th and now into the 21st century, that amongst evangelicals, we call Jesus Lord, we just don't submit to him as Lord. We call him King, but we don't obey him as King. We say the right things, believe the right things, but we are in charge. We are King. We do things our way. Um, we want Jesus to come alongside us as our saviour who will forgive us for our sins but who will empower us to achieve our goals. That we will serve his kingdom and his priorities when it's convenient for us. <clears throat> Jesus is not sovereign king. He is a powerful individual whom we can invite to come and help us fulfil our agenda. Again, you see, it's a huge generalisation, but there are people exactly like this. There was a huge theological debate about 20, 30 years ago, and some of the residue of it is still lingering today. Whereas a debate about the lordship salvation, does Jesus have to be lord for you to be saved? The Bible answer is yes. But there are some professing believers who would say no. You only have to pray a one-time prayer, accept Jesus and ask him for forgiveness and you're good to go. You've got eternal life because you prayed that one prayer. Has your life been transformed? Do you follow Jesus as Lord? Do you read his word? Are you obedient to him? Are you changing? Are you bearing fruit? No, not relevant. That's not New Testament teaching at all. So this is something to be aware of and careful of and to avoid. Not simply to call Jesus Lord, say his word is true and then do whatever we want. That's what leads to hypocrisy. That's what's led to the inconsistency for the church. Where, to pick a contemporary example, we can get on a, a very strong position on homosexuality and same-sex marriage. We take the prophetic line. This is what the Bible says, and that's wrong, and we can rebuke it. Instead of taking a priestly line of listening 
extending grace and mercy for people who are broken and acknowledging Jesus is king, that without condemning, we follow him and balancing our responses and sadly the church often is getting it wrong. Luke 6.46, the Lord Jesus says point blank, why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? Third group, so the fundamentalists, the judgmental, the legalistic type Christians who have a very poor view of Jesus as a priest, the middle group, whatever we're going to call them, um, who have a very poor view of Jesus as king. And then to this side are the people who are part of the, of the kingdom, people who are part of Christianity, they profess Christ, and I'm going to call them the liberal Christians. They're very strong on Jesus as a priest, full of grace, mercy. They're tolerant and they're patient with anything and everything. They'll say Jesus is king, that he is the ruler of all peoples, um, that he seeks to extend his love and mercy and kindness to all people as a very gracious king. But they're very weak on Jesus as a prophet, very weak on what does the Bible say. Their view of the Lord Jesus is that he would never be offended and he would never offend anybody. He wouldn't hurt our feelings. It's gentle Jesus, meek and mild type perspective. Jesus wouldn't command us to repent. That's just not him. He wouldn't say that's wrong. That's their view of Jesus. And again, you see, I'm being simplistic and perhaps overextending the point. But what they've got is a priest and a king, but they don't have a prophet. That's the danger that we can have that we don't have all three in balance in our life. And it's so easy to get out of balance. Jesus is a prophet. He speaks to us. He is our priest. He walks with us. And he is a king. He rules over us. And he does those same roles today as he did yesterday. And he'll do them into our future. Matthew chapter 17. The Lord Jesus is transfigured before his three disciples. And in that process, a cloud comes over and the voice of the Heavenly Father says, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's what the Father wants us to do. Listen to the Lord Jesus as he speaks to us as a prophet, as he walks with us as a priest, as he rules over us as a king. So my prayer that I'm going to lead us in now is... Which aspect of this of the Lord Jesus? Which aspect of this are we the weakest in? Which one are we misunderstanding, ignoring? Which ones are we stronger in and which ones are we weaker in? I'm going to ask God to show us uh, where we lack. Not just in what we think, but in our attitudes and our actions of how we are responding to others. And then going to ask God to show us this balance of the Lord Jesus as we read the scriptures together. So I'm going to pray that and invite you to pray it with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you came into our world, the sovereign God, God the Son, became the Son of Man in order to serve, to give your life as a ransom for us that you came to redeem, to save, to forgive and to transform. Lord, as we've been um, thinking, meditating this morning about those different aspects to who you are, 
Could you reveal to us where we lack, where we misunderstand, or where even we might be ignoring you? We say that you are Lord. We acknowledge that you are our Saviour. But Lord, where are we weak? Is it in understanding you as a prophet, as a truth-teller in your word? Do we play down or misunderstand you as a priest? One who intercedes for us, who dies for us, cleanses us and others? Or is it where you are king? And we call you king, but we really serve ourselves and our priorities. Lord, could you please reveal to us, place your finger upon any area of our life which is not right, not fulfilling your purposes in us, and then reveal to us truths out of your word, the scriptures, so that we can be changed, transformed and balanced. Take us and use us to bring honour and glory to you, our servant king. We pray in your name. Amen.